Welcome to Success Hackers, Cracking the Entrepreneurial Code, the podcast that's focused on empowering entrepreneurs to find the edge and take their business to a whole nother level. We're peeking behind the curtain to learn entrepreneurial shortcuts and success strategies from the most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Get ready for mind-blowing entrepreneurial tips with your host, high-performance business coach, keynote speaker, and author, Scott Hansen. Showtime in three, two, one. Hacker Nation, Scott Hansen here. Are you excited to be alive? Are you ready to take your business to entirely new heights? I hope you're ready to start living the life you were meant to live and truly become the extraordinary person that you were meant to be. Hacker Nation, get ready to take some notes. Get out your pad, get out your paper, whatever it is that you need to take some notes on because today's guest is really, really special. Today, our featured guest is Mr. Tom Gimble. Tom, are you ready to rock? Yeah, you got me pumped up, Scott. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. <laughs> All right. Success Hackers is brought to you by Meet Advisors, empowering business through advice. Tom Gimble is the founder and CEO of LaSalle Network, a Chicago-based staffing and recruiting firm. Since the company's inception, LaSalle has won more than 40 culture and revenue-based awards. For the past five years, staffing industry analysts has named LaSalle Network one of the top five best staffing firms to work for in the country. LaSalle has been named to the Inc. 500, 500th list of fastest-growing private companies in America for the past eight consecutive years and Crane's Chicago business list of best places to work in 2014 and 2015. Tom was named by Entrepreneur Magazine as one of 10 up-and-coming leaders to watch. Tom was also inducted into the Chicago Area Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame. He has been featured on the Today Show, Fox & Friends, Fox Business Network, and in the Wall Street Journal, Fortune Small Business, Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Fast Company, SI Review, Cranes, Chicago Business, and USA Today, Inc., NBC, and more. Tom Gimble, <laughs> welcome to Success Hackers. We have never had a Hall of Famer on the show. Uh, it is great to have you. <laughs> well, I, ha I haven't gotten to the point where I signed my, my name HOF after it yet, so uh, <laughs> it, it's a nice flattering thing, and when you read it, it's it's very humbling, but it's you know we've worked really hard to build a company with a great cultural people. People want to be at and they want to work and and when you as you know better than anybody scott when you're building a company the goal is to hire good people because when you go from being a sole proprietor to to handing off work and and execution of work to others that for some point in time there's going to be a, a service delivery slip because everybody can't do everything in the beginning as well as you can and then as you grow your company your goal is to hire people that do certain aspects better than you ever could mm. so it's a really interesting uh, juxtaposition of, of things and um, I'm really really humbled and excited to be with you today well so how did you get started in the staffing industry Tom well, ironically enough, I was recruited into it. So uh, I graduated from the University of Colorado. I moved back to my home uh, state of Illinois and city of Chicago. And a fraternity brother of mine had gotten into the staffing business. And after a few years, he did a startup. And when they were ready to grow beyond the original four people, they hired me to come in and do sales. And I was a young buck of 24 years old, 23 years old. And uh, they hired me, and we just had terrific growth. Two years later, we'd gone on to do almost $20 million in projected revenue, and they were getting ready to sell the company. You know, we each went in different ways, and I was fortunate enough that the economy and the, 
the uh, the credit situation then was really healthy and good, and I was able to get a loan and start up my own shop. And knock on wood, with twenty twenty hindsight, things have worked out worked out really well for me. So, how do you compete in such a competitive environment when a lot of your competitors or semi competitors are doing so many things online? Whether it's the Monster dot coms of the world or any other online talent acquisition type of a company. How do you guys at LaSalle Network, kind of more of a traditional brick and mortar company, how do you compete with those individuals and those companies? Well, I think there's a lot that goes into how you view yourself and your industry. And, and, you know, I always say, I'm a state college guy, right? I'm not an MIT engineer and I didn't, I didn't create the, the next great thing. What I think we do very well, or I'm confident we do very well, is we do something that's been around for decades, for, for years, and we just do it better than other people. And we do it in an environment where we can build consistency of our staff, which creates better relationships with our clients. So we don't view a lot of, perceived competitors as competitors. So the online job boards are really a vehicle for us to do our jobs better. Hmm. LinkedIn isn't a competitor. It's for us to do our jobs better. And when everybody wants to make recruiting a virtual experience, and we do we do Skype interviews and we do FaceTime interviews and we do those things as we've expanded nationally and outside of Chicago. But at the same time we haven't we haven't replaced the the human being aspect, the human element. And the analogy I gave is you know, Google is, is really, uh, forward thinking and they're, they're the, the driverless car, right? Which mm. is terrific. But cars still need tires. They still need an engine. <laughs> right. They may go be going from gas to electric and they may be going from drivers to driverless, but there's some basic elements that cars need. And, and in the same essence, hiring people, there's, you can, you can make it all virtual, but eventually this person has to work with somebody. They have to meet somebody. Hmm. Now there's certain jobs, whether it's a developer in a foreign country working the midnight shift or, or, or certain thing, you know, a toll booth operator that's <laughs> taking money. But, but at, for most of us and the jobs that we staff, you need to be involved with other people. And there needs to be a buffer. There needs to be somebody to vet that. There needs to be somebody to sell the opportunity to somebody. Hmm. And that's where we position ourselves that we will spend the time and the money to ingratiate ourselves, to, to, to attach ourselves to your company culture to understand it so we can go find the right people for you. Yeah, We're not I, just a screening vehicle. Yeah, and I love that. Sorry to cut you off. I love that because... Hacker Nation, right off the bat, Tom dropped a huge golden nugget, which he said, you know what? Google has the, the type of cars where there's no people that need to be in them, right? The, the, as you call it, what'd you call it? The peopleless cars? Yeah, the driverless cars. The driverless cars. And, but yet there's still cars on the road and they need tires. Well, Tom has an industry, a business that's super successful. And he said, rather than kind of fight the trend, let's embrace it, but let's keep that human touch, the, people sport, if you will, and let's continue to do what we do, as you put it, better than anybody else, which is just incredible. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when you look at companies, the, the, and you, everybody's doing surveys of everything, and it's a hot button, button with big data as employee engagement and where very few people fill out surveys and say they're happy about where they work or what they do. So the technology aspect isn't creating a higher level of satisfaction with what people do every day. And as long as that exists, there's an opportunity for recruiters to move people around. And what I'm trying to do is work with clients and CEOs and managers of organizations to say, it isn't about finding the best people, which it is, but it isn't solely that. It's about keeping them. 
It's hmm. about creating a place where people want to come. And, and what a lot of people need to realize is every great culture isn't for everybody. And whether it's LaSalle Network is a small, medium-sized company that wins culture awards or Google that's, you know, got movies made about it with the internship and riding bikes around and doing that. If that's not who you are, that's not a great culture. And just because your friend likes it there doesn't mean you're going to like it there. The employer-employee relationship is as close to a marriage, to a personal relationship, as anything we have in the world. And if that relationship in the marriage world is is 50%, we can't expect it to be any different in the career side. So we've really got to engage and work with people to make it a fulfilling experience. I love what you just said, and it's so interesting because it takes me literally in the transition to one of the segments we call, which is called the passion play. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about culture, as you just mentioned. Uh, As CEO right now, might be listening to the show, trying to figure out the very best way to create a culture or an environment where their team actually wants to come to work, wants to work late, and genuinely likes working with their coworkers. With all the accolades that you and the company have achieved, what would you say to that CEO that's listening right now, maybe one or two things that they can implement immediately to start creating an environment where success is happening all around them and people really love coming to work, Tom? My firm belief on this, and I've done some speaking in this, Scott, is that you've got to focus on what you want your company to be. And I know a lot of people that want to build companies purely to make money, be profitable, and sell it off and to provide a service. And they don't care if people are, are, are happy or not as long as the work gets done. And my, my answer to that is that's fine. But you've got to realize what your turnover rate's going to be and where your cultural issues are going to be, and you can't complain about that later. On the flip side, directly answering your question is, if you want to provide an environment where you enjoy going to work, where the people are motivated, where they're happy to be there, there's really two things you need to do. Number one is figure out what type of personality is going to succeed in your environment, no matter what the job is. If somebody likes, I mean, there's basic stuff. If somebody doesn't want to work in an open environment where everybody can see what's on their computer all the time and that's what you have, they're destined to not be successful there. Hmm. There's little basic things like that. And we can get into that more if you want. The second thing is, I really truly believe that you need to like the people that work for you. And as you get bigger, you might say it's harder, but you can make that, that can disseminate through the organization. So while you may not need to love every staff level thirty or $40,000 a year person who works for you as a CEO, the manager of that team needs to, and you need to like the managers. And really liking people is where the passion derives from. Because how else are people going to be trained if they're not being trained by the people they work for? And if they don't like the people who work for them, they're not going to want to spend time with them. And it sounds so obvious, but it's so, so true. And, you know, you you said something that seemed so basic, and it seems continuing to be more and more basic, but then people have such a hard time grasping it, which is liking, really liking the people that you bring on board. So it sounds like when you go out and recruit not necessarily for other companies, but recruiting for your own staff, one of the things that's one of the biggest factors is besides their sales background or their resume or where they've worked, at the end of the day, can they fit into the LaSalle network culture? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. And my feeling and my directive to my staff is, is that you're going to have problems. You have to pick where you want your problems to exist. Hmm. I would rather hire the quote-unquote best available athlete who's got a great attitude who's going to fit in. I really truly believe that when when I'm interviewing people for my staff, that when they involve me in that process, 
my job is to find out if this person is going to be easy to manage. And I don't mean that they don't have an opinion or that they, they don't bring thoughts to the table or they don't challenge, but are they doing it in a healthy way that's easy to manage versus just being the devil's advocate for the sake of being the devil's advocate? Because when you're that, then you just become the devil. <laughs> and and I'm a, I'm a firm believer that I want people who play that because they play that role because they feel the client's going to play that role and they need to offset that. And and then you have this culture of people wanting to spend time with each other because you have common similar interests. But if people don't want to have a career, you know, I, I've been I've been writing a lot lately about the A's, the B's and the C's. And what ends up happening with management is we spend a lot of our time as managers wanting to be around the A players because they're fun. They're successful. They engage in intelligent dialogue. However, those people need the least amount of your time. And then we end up spending the other side of our, of the, the other side of the coin is we spend time with the C's who need a lot of attention, a lot of issues. They're always dealing with something on the personal side Mm -hmm. and it affects their work. And the people that are ignored are these B players. And it's not unlike the middle child syndrome if you, if you were, if you had brothers and sisters or if you have children. And that middle child sometimes gets ignored. And you have to really be cognizant of those B players because those are the people that are going to end up making you a lot of money and, and end up really driving the culture of your company. Hmm. Great advice. Take us back to a specific moment where you were 100% sure that LaSalle Network wasn't just a pipe dream anymore, but that it started to actually become a real success in the staffing space or your light bulb moment, we call it. I don't know if it's happened yet. <laughs> no, I think, I think, um, you know, there's probably been a couple. We, we, we had a lot of times it's, it's acknowledgement from the outside. So in, in 2001, Entrepreneur Magazine named us to the, the Hot 100 list of fastest growing companies. And that was something that validated us and allowed us to have another tool in our tool belt to sell the company hmm. to our cl- prospective clients. And that was huge. Sure. But, but, you know, we were, fortunately, the, the, the economy hit at the right time and, and we were cash flow positive really, really quickly. So I always felt that we were, we were, uh, a profitable, good, uh, growing organization, but when we became a uh, a company that I would say um, it was about three or four years ago when all of our when we became the place that people wanted to recruit from when traditional corporations and our competitors really came after our people hard. Unfortunately, none of our people that we've wanted to have stay voluntarily left to go work for a competitor. We've been very fortunate in that space. Um, but that became what, a, a real validating thing when our mm-hmm. managers and staff would tell us all the recruiting calls they were getting. It was like, wait a second, we have the people that everybody else wants. Our name on a resume really validated people, and that was a powerful tool. And mm-hmm. The second thing was really recently. Um, we made the, the, the list in Chicago from Crane Chicago Business for the second year in a row of best companies to work for. And our industry, the staffing and recruiting industry, tends to be a very high, high growth, but very high turnover business. And as a result, the cultures tend to, tend to not be as positive. And I had the CEO of another company say to me, Hey, congratulations on the growth, and you know we're growing too, and blah 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 blah. I said, I just can't figure out how you get on the list of best companies to work for mm. when our business, our industry, is so tough in that regard. And I think that that really said to me, you know, we're doing something different. Not not as you said, not illogically different, but just different. That people are looking and saying 
these guys are really, really doing something special in the space. Well, and I think, you know, you know, again, congrats on that for sure. I mean, you guys are doing some huge things. But I think going back to what we talked about before is the culture, the vision, and it starts with the top. I mean, it starts with you. Um, I had a, a gentleman on the show that was the group president of a huge bank. We talked about culture. We talked about leadership. We talked about leadership training. We talked about mentoring. We talked about all those things. And he said the reason why our bank was able to succeed, unlike a lot of other banks, when you know a lot of banks were going in the tubes around 2007, 2008, 2009, we kept growing. And the reason why that is is because, and I won't get into it here, but it was around culture and around leadership. And he said that the CEO of our company had an open-door policy. You as an employee felt completely bought in to the vision, to the promise, to the goals, to the team, to the likability, all of those things. And that all resulted in having you know the fastest-growing bank um, in their area uh, of all time. So I completely agree with what you're saying about, you know, when other companies aren't doing as well, how come we're doing as well? It starts obviously with the top. It starts with you. And then obviously what you're able to implement across your team. So, you know, you have all these accolades, Tom, and your business is crushing it. Let's talk about a subject that a lot of people like to shy away from the F word, the failure word. Would love to share a story when, in your entrepreneurial endeavor, when you did fail and you might even have wanted to quit, but you failed forward, took that failure, and then used it as fuel to your success fire. Yeah, I think it happened. It happened twice with what we were doing and different ideas with the business. So in the first six, seven months, I couldn't get traction. I had only two employees. And I think the hardest thing to manage is a staff of two or three. Um, I think it's just really, really challenging because you're doing the work alongside, but at the same time you have to view them as as subordinates, or they need to more importantly they need to view you as a as a superior mm-hmm. in order to take direction. We couldn't grow, we couldn't get it done, and finally it was a blessing. Uh, a young, it was right when I started, about eight, seven, eight months, a young recruiter I had who I thought was crucial and had a you know good attitude. She quit. She said, "You know what? It's not what I want. Are we going to make it? Are we not?" And I went into her her computer and her desk after she left, and I realized all the things that weren't getting done and all the things that I took for granted that somebody was going to do. And I looked at the other gentleman who was managing her, and I said, you know, you're taking for granted what I took for granted, what you were doing, you took for granted what she was doing. And I realized that until someone proved to me what they could do, I wanted to know what they were doing. And some people call it micromanagement. I call it uh, trust level. Mm-hmm. And and I think you need that the, the employee, and at the end of the day, we run a fairly flat organization. However, there's somebody who, who can fire you and somebody who can be fired. And that's the line in the sand. And until the person who can be fired proves that they know what they're doing to a very high level, then they need to be, they need to be managed in that regard of, of, of wanting to know what's going on. The other failure was in, in 2001, right before, maybe 2000, right before the bubble burst and everybody was hiring people, I went from a five-day work week to a four-day work week mm-hmm. to try to create and attract and retain these people. And it was the worst decision I ever made. I was doing something to try to compete, but not something that I thought was the right business decision. It, it created a lack of teamwork. And it really it was very similar, totally different scale, obviously, to what uh, 
uh, Melissa Mayer's doing did at Yahoo when she took over mm-hmm. and went from flexible work schedules and decentralization to bringing everybody in house. Right. And it, it's saying, hey, you know what? The ideas of flexibility and, and job shares, it's all great if business is great. But when business isn't great, it's not the right thing to do just for the sake of making people happy. Hacker Nation, Tom just dropped another great golden nugget. I mean, think about it. You were in your CEO role. You had two other people. The one person decides to up and quit who you thought was a superstar. You could have been like, my God, this thing isn't for me. But it was a blessing in disguise. You learned a lot about yourself and about how to lead people differently. And sure enough, now you've been able to create this huge, massive, thriving business. I love it. I love that story. Tom, as you know, we are all about sharing a success strategy or hack with Hacker Nation, with our listeners. Please share with Hacker Nation a success hack or strategy that a business owner can implement today in order to take their business to new heights. I'll tell you something. I just heard this the other day, and I started implementing it. And I think it's something because not every CEO or entrepreneur is a salesperson. And a lot of times they're, they're technicians, they're operational, um, but they have a great idea or they're put in a, a position to, to run their own show. And if you can start every day off with three phone calls, somebody from your pre- past, somebody from your present, and somebody from your future. And somebody from your past, whether it's high school or college or a different career, a different time in your life, somebody you don't talk to all the time, and to reacquaint, find out what's going on because past relationships will lead to future business success. Somebody current, a client, a vendor, somebody you're dealing with all the time that you don't necessarily always talk to, reach out to that person. Initiate the dialogue. And then someone in the future, Somebody who's a prospect, somebody who's a recruit to work for your company, somebody that you want to get a hold of that you've never met before. Now, I personally believe you need to make on the last on the last call. You need to probably make about fifty of those a day. <laughs> however, however, if you can start your day with those three calls, your past, your present, and your future, hmm. it's a foundation to get your day thinking about what you need to be, uh, where you need to be and all the different levels you need to be. I think that's huge. I mean, I can get into the buzzwords of accountability and and client interface and employee morale, but at the end of the day, you've got to take care of you and take charge of you. And it, it's very similar to what they do in an airplane, right? You can't put the, 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 uh, the breathing mask on your kid if you don't have it on you first. And take care of you and then care about your staff. And you'll see things really grow. And just to clarify, when you make the history call and the current call, it's not to pitch business. It's just to see how they're doing and see what they're up to. Is that correct? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And talk. You, you want to find out about, about them. And the best salespeople that I've ever been associated with, they care more about the person on the other end of the phone than they do about themselves. And they can, now, there's, there's arts to it, and it's another another day for another another call, but to, to how you, you ask for business. But you're making these calls purely to build relationships and to let people know that you care. That's such a great piece of advice, my God, because I think when people hear relationships or social media, you got to develop relationships first, especially someone that is tied to an incentive like sales. They think that takes too long. I want to sell. I know I have a number every month to hit, but I love your approach, which is those numbers will come if you cultivate, if you water the seed of not only your current prospects or your current clients, but 
maybe even touching base with friends or colleagues in the past because if you come from a place of, I call it servant leadership, where you're coming mm-hmm. from a place, I don't want anything. I just want to see how you're doing. What are you up to? What's your business? How you've been from that place? I think organically the sales will come. Yeah, you have to be invested in your career. You have to say, I want to be doing this three, four, five, ten years from now. Mm. Because you're right. If this is a one-year stop to make as much money as you can in year one, uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna have the results that you want. And, and I think as leaders, we're all in the business of expectation management. And that's one of the things we do with our staff is say, hey, listen, how you see the world at a point when you join an organization and what reality is, a lot of times are two different things. And you've got to manage yourself and manage your expectations, but you've got to build relationships. And at the same time, what good management and good leadership does is they also have to teach you when to ask for the business and, and when to spend, when you're spending too much time on, on non-revenue generating. Mm-hmm. And it's really a happy medium because you, you want a fish to eat for today and you also want to learn how to fish to eat for a lifetime. And it's a matter of balance. (laughs) It's a matter of balancing both because if you're too weak to to lift up the fishing pole, you're not going to be able to eat in six months. (laughs) Tom, great stuff. We are now going to enter the randomness round, Tom. It's like putting you on the Success Hackers version of the hot seat. Whatever is the Mm -hmm. first answer that comes to your mind, just let it rip. So, Tom Gimbel, are you ready for the randomness round? Let's do it, Scott. Best advice you've ever received? Stand in front of your audience, admit what you don't know, and then tell them you'll go find the answer. What's a daily habit that you do sometime throughout the day that puts you in a great frame of mind? I drink a can of carbonated water. You now own a time machine, Tom. I want you to travel back in time to when you were 25 years old again. What advice would your current self, knowing what you know about business and life, give your 25-year-old self? That's such a great question. And I, I, the, the, the reality of it is whenever I pose that to myself or had other people ask me that, Scott, it's some, a lot of times a different answer, which I think is the beauty of life. Mm. But today I would say as a 25-year-old, I would have more faith in myself. Mm. I was nervous and scared, even starting the company. And I would have, I would have taken less money. I would have, um, invested more money to hire better people sooner i would have gone into how about this for a comment i would have gone into more debt as a 25 year old what's the one trait that you have that's contributed mostly to your success sense of humor what's a hidden talent that you have that most people may not know about you i don't know if i have any hidden talents from the standpoint of i'm very transparent i would say that the the, it's not a talent but the people at work to, to know that I the things I do with my kids, the goofy, silly, normal things that, that anybody does, that I'm not wearing a suit all the time when I'm rolling around with my kids playing in the yard, and to my kids that I'm the same goofy guy at work that I am when I'm with them, that I, I am the same person no matter where I am. Last question of the randomness round, Tom. When your life is near the end, what do you want your legacy to be? That it ended on a high note. Well, this has definitely ended on a high note. This has been so incredible, Tom. Thank you so much for your time and sharing these incredible success strategies with Hacker Nation. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your business? My Twitter handle is at Tom Gimbel, G-I-M-B-E-L, and our website is LaSalle, L-A-S-A-L-L-E, network.com. 
Hacker Nation, make sure to head over to successhackers.net for this episode's show notes and recap from today's incredible interview with Tom, along with some other really cool resources that we have on the site. Oh, and don't forget, you can take this show with you and listen to me and all these incredible interviews anywhere that you're at. You can do this by going to successhackers.net, clicking on the iTunes tab, and then clicking subscribe to the show on the actual iTunes page. When you're on the iTunes page, we really, really love our five-star ratings and review because we're trying to grow the show so that we can have impact and empower other entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs just like you. You can also follow me and the show on Twitter at Scott Hansen 1210 at Scott Hansen 1210 This is Scott Hansen saying thanks again for listening to another episode of Success Hackers. Until the next show, Go out and live with passion.